let's say you walked into a room and you found a baby not breathing. What would you do? Or a man standing next to you at the train station and he has a heart attack. Or you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time in what becomes all of a sudden a hostile situation or even an act of terrorism. Thinking about the situation being removed from it, you can probably come up with a few hypothetical, logical steps on what you think you might do. But when you're there in the moment, it could be a very, very different story. So we have superheroes in this country like army, police, fire, paramedics and so on that need to put themselves in those kinds of situations every day. How do they prepare to become a first responder? How do you train to not only respond in those situations, but help? Can technology help? Well, today I'm talking to Jeremy Holder, the managing director from Emergisim, a virtual reality training company that's preparing first responders for the high risk and life-threatening emergencies that they face. It's that time, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Jeremy Holder. He's the managing director and co-founder of Emergisim, a virtual reality training company that prepares first responders for the high-risk and life-threatening emergencies. Prior to Emergisim, Jeremy served as a medic in the Australian Regular Army for seven years. He's qualified as an underwater medicine clinician, and Jeremy served with Special Operations Command for four years, which included a deployment to Afghanistan and domestic counterterrorism as a platoon medic before moving onto a civilian intensive care paramedic for New South Wales Ambulance for 12 years. Hey, Jeremy, how are you going? Good, Pete. Good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you for joining. It's going to be an interesting topic around first responders and the use of virtual reality and training up and preparing for those types of situations. So really looking forward to getting stuck into it. Let's get to know about yourself firstly. Tell us a bit more about you and what you do in your background. Yeah, sure, Pete. So I, I left school, born and bred West Australian, left school uh, end of year 12 and joined the army at 17. And then over sort of seven year period, I joined up as a medic and then made my way to special operations and was a medic supporting the commandos, deployed to Afghanistan for just under five months, returned back. And as you said, sort of got into domestic counterterrorism for the army, uh, still in the primary role as a medic and then went to the ambulance service and then during the ambulance, as an intensive care paramedic, I had sort of four days on, five days off. For me, it's just I can't sit still for five days off. I didn't know what to do. So I sort of seen a bit of a need in my industry and started a hobby business, TACMED. So we're specializing in equipment and training for the environments that I'm used to working in, those sort of high threat environments. And I just ran that with the help of my wife for five years out of our spare room. And after about five years, we sort of got some government contracts. And I said, that's when we turned into a real business and sort of 20 employees full-time based on the east coast of Australia. And then through that, we were doing more and more training, again, mainly with police and military. So we train and equip most of the police services around Australia. Uh, And we sort of had this sort of need. We were sort of running out of staff, staff that have our sort of backgrounds, culture, and in some sort of experiences in that high-threat medicine. Certainly with Australia pulling out of Afghanistan and Iraq, we were losing some of that corporate knowledge in that high threat and tactical medicine. So we're like, well, how long can we keep training? And not just that, we were spending 200 days a year plus traveling around Australia teaching these courses. And we're like, is there going to be a different way that we can still deliver the same level of training that we deliver with the same learning outcomes, but us not having to travel and still maintaining that consistency? And that's when we started looking at technology. 
And at the same time, we were approached by a virtual reality studio down in Fox Studios in Sydney, Spectre Studios. And those guys started their careers, I think like a lot of them, in the visual special effects and art making movies for Walt Disney Animation and things like that. And these guys are like, you know, we're good at 3D art, we're good at VR, but we want to get into training. We see a gap, but we've got no idea how to train. So they sort of reached out to us and we were like, wow, this is coincidental that they're looking to get into training and we're looking to get into the tech space but both companies had no idea you know we're two finger typers we're medics we can't program vr and certainly can't design art like these guys and, and same thing they didn't know how to train so we sort of just started working with those guys over a six to 12 month period and then sort of developed this partnership and then in the end after sort of touring a couple of trips to the us all around australia showing an mvp of a vr product we end up having a joint venture and starting emergency. So that's how we sort of come about. Excellent. Okay, got it. It sounds like a nice evolution of what you do. So it sounds like TACMED's still very much there and that's the business. And so Emergisim is, is it a subsidiary of or is it like a product or just an arm of what you do? Is that how you describe it? Yeah, so pretty much the same confusion you probably have now as well. We end up just starting a separate company, which is just the joint venture between the two, but it's its own. Oh, the JV, yeah. Steps. Yeah, I understand the line company and, doing emergency simulations. So emergency, that's how it come about. Yeah, cool. No, it's always interesting how these types of emerging business models come out and the use of technology within health and training and the application of it becomes apparent rather than something that you go to build out from scratch. So it's interesting. It's always interesting how to then structure that too. Keen to understand the problem more about those that are being trained. The first responders, just to provide some clarity around who's being trained, who are generally the first responders that you're training up? Yeah, so the term first responders is probably, you know, it's widely used in the US, but not so much in Australia. So for us, first responders is that first person who's going to be on scene at an emergency. And that can be anyone like your professional first responders, such as ambulance, police, fire, SES, rural fire service or wilderness sort of bushfire. And then it could be more of your volunteer agencies like your surf life-saving and volunteer rescue agencies and things like that. So anybody who's there to help another human in an emergency. Give us some examples. You know, I tried to set the scene at the start of the episode around some of those stressful situations that those first responders might encounter. But what about yourself? You've got an interesting career and background as well and been on the front line. What are some of those stressful situations that you might have encountered that you'd be okay talking about? And what did you learn about yourself encountering some of those situations? And I can go back to a number of different sort of scenarios and it, uh, and then sort of further down in my career now when I've then trained other brand new paramedics and seen where they're starting their careers and it sort of just goes back. And, you know, I remember the operation we're on in Afghanistan where our platoon was ambushed uh, and we ended up having multiple casualties. So we had six Australians wounded by a volley of rocket-propelled grenades from the Taliban. And then looking back on that retrospectively, I'd never done any real mass casualty training as a medic. And I'd been a medic at, by that stage, I'd been a medic for four or five years. And I hadn't done really any mass casualty training. And my first mass casualty incident was by myself, as in the only medical provider, probably 150, 200 kilometers from any other medical provider in the most hostile environment in the world. So, you know, I look back and there's certainly things I could have done better at that scene. But how, like what can sort of prepare you for that? And we know through not just my time, but decades of reality-based training by using actors and high-quality moulage and well-planned-out scenarios that you very much are going to, and there's studies to prove this, that you are going to prepare providers to be 
better equipped to treat that. Not only will that have better outcomes for the patient, but it's shown to have better outcomes for the provider as well and hopefully be more resilient going forward. So coming forward a few more years, when I was doing my intensive care training, the training officer had been an intensive care paramedic for almost as long as I'd been alive. And uh, he sort of had this nickname, Joe Cool, because no matter what situation we would go to, he was just like the calmest surfy dude you've ever met. And, you know, you, your heart rate's pumping, got that sympathetic nervous system working, the adrenaline, and, you know, your eyes dilated and you can feel your heartbeat and you know you're breathing quicker. And then there's just Joe Cool that just walks in the room like nothing had happened. And, you know, you could have a couple of people stabbed or a vehicle rollover with four or five patients, one ejected. And Joe Cool would just be like, it's just another day at the office. I was like, how does he get like this? And apart from just time in the job, it's really just having that self-awareness and taking a step back, taking in the situation, maintaining your own physiology by taking that deep breath. One could say a form of meditation, but you're really controlling your physiology. And sort of looking at that, I started to look back on other instances where jobs, you start to get panicky and you can see what happens. If someone starts yelling on a scene, everyone becomes that next sort of hyper aware and people start doing things too quickly and mistakes are made and you don't have that critical reasoning as well as you should. So, you know, looking back, we're like, all right, well, how can we take these experiences and these things we've learned as well as a lot of the research and then use that to make medics better prepared and so we can speed up that experience curve. And for us, we're like, well, we can run these high-fidelity training. We do it every day at TACMED with moulage and training, but it's really time-intensive. It's really people-intensive. It takes time to moulage get everyone in the same room. You've got to deal with so many clients. We're like, and that's how the VR come up because essentially you can have a firefighter or a paramedic or a police officer at the start of the shift put on a headset and run through an incredibly complex, high stressful scenario in the first 20 minutes of their shift and then they can start the rest of their shift. So it was just that natural progression of how we can get the, the same learning outcomes, just how we can expedite them. And for those that aren't aware, when you talk around high fidelity training and moulage and stuff like that, so is that like setting up these real life scenarios to try and simulate what it's like being in one of those stressful situations? Yes, very much, very much. So, I mean, as we record this podcast, I've got my training team downstairs in our facility with a race car and we've got a paramedic student acting as a role player. She's in the vehicle with all the fake wounds, with fake blood. And she has essentially a scenario that she has to act out. So our trainees who are race car drivers today will have to learn. So she knows, you know, what she has to do and how she has to act for the people to treat her in a scenario. That sounds like a highly not scalable kind of model of <laughs> training. So I guess that can understand how using VR can hopefully allow that to be a more of a scalable and cost-effective solution. Definitely, definitely. Tell us about the tech. You know, you mentioned you're partnering with, you say, Spectra Studios, and they're the ones that are doing the designing. So it sounds like you're building your own kind of scenarios from scratch. These aren't things you're buying off the shelf or like pre-made situations. They're highly customized. Yeah. So at the moment, we're only doing customized training solutions. So we're taking our experiences as clinicians, our experiences clinical educators, and then we're mixing that with Spectre Studios technical and development and their amazing 3D art. And we're sort of combining those all four to make the custom scenarios to whatever the client is. So for instance, we're working with a large EMS agency in the US. And so for the next 
12 months, they've realized that they've got a lack of training and experience in mass casualty scenarios. And as we've seen in sort of current times, it's a very high probability of places having terrorist type incidents. So we've developed a custom mass casualty scenario for them and it's working with their clinical education team. And, and so we work with their current protocols, their current equipment, and what are the learning outcomes that they want to achieve at the end of the training. And because we're clinician driven in the way that we design our scenarios, we're then working with our dev team who are the technical experts to then incorporate those clinical scenarios and learning outcomes, which we find is getting the, you know, the scenarios are far more accurate and we can build them much quicker with less input from the client. And I guess the beauty of VR is that it's technology that can be used anywhere in the world. Obviously, it's a scalable solution once you get past the whole, I guess, hardware side of things needed for VR. A question came up within the Talking Health Tech community in preparation for this interview from Athol, and it was around building a company to be international from day one and being virtual reality, it's, it is a scalable solution to be able to use anywhere. And I could certainly see in like these types of situations could be used in South Africa, Mexico, other high-risk places that could utilize this first responder training. You know, you're focused in Australia right now. Are there any plans to look at expanding out to other parts of the world at some point for you guys? Oh, 100%, Pete. I mean, when we first set up Sim, it was quite, um, you know, it was very much focused on filling our own needs and gap here within Australia. But as soon as we sort of developed this and got the product out there and we went to a couple of EMS trade shows in the US. We worked out it's it's very much a global product that is scalable, unlike our standard training. So the plan was to get in the US pretty quickly, but obviously like most of the world, COVID has really affected our plans and how we're going to do that. So I can't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but we're just signing the contracts now for a, a North American distributor of Emergisim because, I mean, realistically, we're not going to be able to travel outside of Australia for the next at least 12 months mm. from the recording. So one would imagine it's not till 2022 that we'd be able to get to the US. So given the speed of tech, we thought it's important that we get the right partners over there to get this out there. Sounds like a sensible idea. Very cool. Just to think more broadly then, and I think you alluded to some of this at the start of the conversation, but generally for anyone that's thinking around how to respond to a, an emergency situation or even just a stressful situation, what are some kind of hints or tips or things that you think about yourself that you can apply in any kind of situation? We don't necessarily need the VR training or anything, but just generally responding to a difficult or stressful situation. What are some tips? Yes, yeah, so some big tips from us is really to stick with the basics. Well, I constantly talk about if a pilot can use a checklist to land a plane in an emergency, then when we respond to a casualty in even a non-threat environment, say it's just a nana that's collapsed at the shopping center or the grocery store, is that we just stick with our basic treatment algorithm. And so for us, it's really, I, I work by the SMART algorithm, which is a mixture of the doctor's ABC that some people will be aware of and the military march. So we look at the scene safety and security to make sure the scene's safe to ourselves, the patient uh, and any bystanders. Once we're happy that it's safe, then we'll look for any major bleeding. So we call it a blood sweep. So we just essentially are head to toes looking for any bleeding that's going to kill that patient in a short period of time. And then it's really getting to your normal thing, looking at the airway, and is the patient alert? Then we look at their respirations, their breathing. If they're not, then we're going to commence resuscitation. And then we look at any other trauma like fractures and burns and minor wounds. 
we keep our patients nice and warm because we know that major trauma patient that hypothermia is going to kill them. So we wrap them up and keep them warm. And then we look at transport. We look at getting them to a hospital, generally via an ambulance. So it's a pretty simple mnemonic, but really in a high stress environment, you sort of go back to the basics and that's when you make sure you do the right thing and get the right good outcome for the patient. Perfect. That's a good one. I've heard of both Dr. ABC and the March one, but then combining the two together, it makes a lot of sense. Hey, lastly, then just thinking around TACMED or Emergisim more specifically, what's on the horizon? What's in the future? You mentioned, you know, some partnerships potentially for international, but what are you guys focusing on 2021? So 2021, we're really focusing on our R&D. And so for us, whilst we're using VR at the moment, for us, that's just the modality that we use to get our learning outcomes at the moment. So it's about, you know, so 2021 for us is working on how we can incorporate uh, some more AI into the systems to learn about the human factors of what medics are doing when they're treating and also looking at the psychological response. So we've partnered with the University of Southern Queensland to get sort of all the high-performance psychologists who work with paramedics and military and police so we can learn about all these human and psychological factors and that's including incorporating sort of the biometrics into our system. So, you know, when people are doing our scenarios, we're wearing biometric vests and recording their heart rates, their respiratory rates. We're looking at their eye movements and potentially looking at cortisol swabs. So to work out that, hey, when if you, if you were to do our scenario, Pete, and I was to do it, why is it that maybe your heart rate rises and you miss looking in certain areas and you miss picking up injuries on the patient, whereas someone who's got maybe 20 years of pre-hospital, his heart rate's at 60 beats per minute. They're looking at the whole surrounding and taking in. So for us, it's incorporating the whole picture and not just that treatment. So 2021's really focusing on bringing that technology and incorporating that into our VR scenarios. Yeah, I love how different technologies can then cooperate and provide quite a holistic solution that solves some really meaningful problems and gives some really interesting insights. So that's great that you'll be working on that. That's awesome, mate. Look, I'm going to put some details of Emergisim, TACMED and everything in the show notes from this episode on the website. People can comment on there and let us know that they've checked it out. And if they've got any questions, they can leave it there. Or if they're a part of the community, there's a lot of good discussion that's happening within it. Jeremy, look, thank you so much for joining. All the best for you and the team in 2021 and beyond. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Go make it happen.